0: On Monday, as I, as I said earlier, my, my lower back went completely out, and for the majority of the week, <clears throat> the most comfortable position I could find to alleviate the pain was on my knees next to my bed as if I was praying. So I did a lot more praying this week. Because I was already in the position. And I was reminded of a a conversation between three ministers who were talking about prayer and the appropriate and effective positions for prayer. And as they were talking a telephone repairman was working on the phone system in the background. One minister shared that he felt the key to prayer was in the hands. He always held his hands together and pointed them upward as a form of symbolic worship. The second minister suggested that real prayer was conducted in humility on your knees. The third suggested they both had it wrong. The only position worth its salt was to pray while lying prostrate flat on the floor. By this time, the the phone man couldn't stay out of the conversation any longer. He chimed in and said, You know, I found that the most powerful prayer I ever made was while I was dangling upside down by my feet from a telephone pole, suspended 45 feet above the ground. Dangling by one's feet in the air will will certainly prompt some serious and and powerful prayer. The kinds of prayer we we typically say where we make all kinds of promises to God. Last week, we began our study in in Colossians, which began with a a prayer of thanksgiving by the Apostle Paul for the church in Colossae. And in these next few verses, Paul's prayer will continue. But his focus shifts from thanksgiving to intercession. Now if you recall from last week... Paul, who is confined in Rome, awaiting trial, received a report from Epaphras about his young and impressionable congregation who were some 1,000 miles away in Colossae. It was a good report about the church. They were faithful and loving. They seemed to be thriving. But there was a concern. False teachers had moved into the area claiming they were in the know when it came to matters about God. Suggesting they knew the deeper truths about Jesus Christ. And... They knew a better way than the gospel. Apaphras saw this as a serious threat to his congregation of new believers who were like sponges for knowledge. And he needed some advice from the Apostle Paul, which eventually prompted this very letter to the Colossians. Paul begins his letter with prayer. And it's a prayer we need to pay careful attention to, for it's a prayer which really shows us how we ought to pray for others. So if you have your Bible, let's continue with Colossians chapter 1. Beginning with verse 9. Colossians 1, beginning with verse 9, where we are told For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God." strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul begins this one long sentence with the words for this reason. For this reason. Which begs the question, for what reason? Well, because of the good report he received from Epaphras, hearing the church in Colossae was doing well, for that reason, for that reason, Paul says he has not ceased to pray for them. You know, for some, it might seem unnecessary to pray for those who are doing well. And I have no doubt that our tendency is mostly to pray for those who are facing difficulties, to pray for those who are in trouble, to pray for those who are struggling. And we absolutely ought to pray for those people. But we must not forget to pray for those who are doing well because they are prime targets for the enemy and a battle is brewing. Opposition and resistance are coming. And for the church in Colossae, sure enough, the false teachers were already there trying to wiggle their way into the church. So believers who seem to be doing well need prayer just as much as those who are doing not. Does that make sense? Now, before we move on, I want to clarify what what Paul means by unceasing prayer. That's what he said. He has not ceased to pray for them. Unceasing prayer. Does that mean that Paul is praying for them 24 hours a day? Is that what that means? No, it doesn't. What Paul is talking about is an attitude of prayer. An attitude of prayer. Where as he goes about life, he's conscious of God's presence and God's work around him. As he walks, as he looks around, as he sees people, as he interacts with them, as he hears about things, Paul's thoughts habitually turn into prayer. Prayer is a lifestyle for Paul. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm talking to someone, especially when it's related to sharing the gospel message to them, I'm praying to them or praying for them while I am talking to them at the same time. That might explain the, the glassy look sometimes I, I have when I'm talking to someone. Or it could be the medication. I'm not sure. So, yes, yeah, so so Paul, as he thinks about this church, his thoughts habitually turn to prayer. That's what he's saying. And his prayer for them is this. It's so good that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That word filled is the Greek word which means complete. Okay, complete. But it has less to do with content and more to do with control. For example, if I say that anger has filled your heart, okay, if I say that anger has filled your heart, that implies you no longer have control. Instead, your anger has controlled you. Anger has a consuming influence over you. When Paul tells the Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit, he means to be controlled by the Spirit, which comes as a result of our complete surrender to him. And here in verse 9, Paul is telling these Colossian believers his prayer for them is that they may be controlled by the knowledge of God's will and this knowledge that Paul speaks about is not just head knowledge it's not just theological knowledge it's the knowledge that comes by experience. It's the knowledge that comes by experience. It's the knowledge that sees things from God's perspective, reasons it out, and then applies that knowledge in practical ways. That's the spiritual wisdom and understanding that Paul is talking about. James talked about this very thing when he said, We are to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Meaning, it's not enough for us to think that simply hearing and studying God's word is sufficient. It needs to be practiced. It needs to be applied. It needs to be followed. It needs to be experienced. There has to be some personal involvement with it if it's really going to take hold of us and transform us so paul's prayer is that god would fill these believers with knowledge because what fills you controls you and this knowledge he prays for is the knowledge of god's will Paul wants the Colossians to know God's will, to see things from God's perspective, to reason reason out how God's will might apply in their own lives, and then allow it to govern them. That's what Paul wants to see for this church. That they would know and follow God's will no matter what, no matter the cost. God's will has to become their will. And then in verse 10, he tells us why. He says, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul prays that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that, that's a purpose statement, so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words if you are controlled with the knowledge of God's will, the next thing is to walk according to His will. There should be no separation between learning and living. No separation. Now I like that word walk. We've heard it many times. And it describes the way we live our lives because it gives us a simple picture of taking one step at a time, repeated over and over again over a period of time. That's walking. It's not confusing. Step by step, day by day Paul's prayer is that in everything, they would please God and bear fruit. His prayer is that they would keep on walking every day in a manner worthy of the Lord. Or instead, another way, to keep walking just like Jesus now, of course, there is no way we will, we will ever walk like Jesus walked, but He is our model. He is our example. He is the one we are to follow. And as we do so, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will bear fruit in every good work. And not only that, but as we experience Him in our daily lives, our personal relationship and intimacy with God will increase. It has to. But that's not all. Look at verse 11. Paul says, Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As we walk worthy of the Lord, his power is there to help us to meet life's challenges. When I thought of that word power, my mind immediately went to that old hymn, There is Power in the Blood. You know the the hymn, right? Power in the Blood. I'm going to read just a, a, a small portion of that. No, 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 I'm reading it, no. And I think we all want that kind of power. That wonder-working power. Power for victory over evil. But notice, you're not going to like this, but notice that the power Paul mentions here is, is for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And what does he mean by that? Well, steadfastness is the Greek word hupomonē. Yeah, hupomonē. Which means to remain under. That's what it means, to remain under. So God gives us the power to remain under. But remain under what? That's the question. Remain under what? To remain under the weight and the pressure of difficult circumstances. This is the power that God gives us to stay in the fire without looking for an escape. The truth is for all of us, me included, When difficult circumstances come, we naturally want to get out from under them as soon as we can. We are looking for an escape route, right? We all do that. But there are times when we need to remain under the weight and under the pressure so God can accomplish His purposes in us and through us. God uses difficult circumstances to produce transformation. But you've got to stay under it to get the full effect and benefit of it. And we don't want to hear that. Think about it this way. The nail that does not remain under the hammer will never reach its goal. The diamond that doesn't remain under the chisel will never become a precious jewel. The gold that doesn't remain in the fire will never be refined. And the Christian who doesn't remain under the hand of God will never see the purpose for the difficulty accomplished in their life. God knows the difficult circumstances that we face. He knows the things that have happened to us, but He uses these things to transform us and to conform us into the image of His Son. That's God's great purpose and will for us, to make us more like Jesus. Chuck Swindoll told a story about a lunch he had with a businessman who runs his own company. As they talked, the subject of wisdom kept popping up in their conversation. They agreed on the value of certain qualities that cannot be learned in school. Things like intuition, diligence, integrity, perception, consistency, loyalty when the businessman again mentioned wisdom. So Chuck asked, how does a person get wisdom? I realize we are men men of wisdom, but a few people ever talk about how it is acquired. His answer was quick and to the point. Pain. Pain. If I may describe this a different way. Life is a series of high mountaintops and low, low valleys. And we learn very little on the mountaintops. Our learning occurs in the valleys. That's where we learn. It's in the valleys. But thank God He is with us in these valleys to give us the power to remain under our circumstances. God knows what he is doing and so we need to hang in there to let him finish what he starts. So Paul prays that God would give power to deal with difficult circumstances. But that's not all. He also prays for power to deal with difficult people. Paul prays for patience. I hate doing that. Which is another word for long suffering. Patience to deal with those people who are hard to live with. Patience to deal with the people you want to scream at. Patience to deal with the people who are driving you crazy patience to deal with the people you want to retaliate against who may have wronged you now you might be saying just as I was that's not the kind of power I want that's not the kind of power I was hoping for I want that wonder working power power over evil But this is the kind of power Paul is praying for. The power to remain under difficult circumstances and the power to be patient with difficult people. And if that's not bad enough, Paul prays that they would do it all with joyful thanks to the Father. A little girl was being punished by eating alone in the corner of the dining room. The family paid no attention to her until they heard her pray. I thank thee, O Lord, for preparing my table before me in the presence of my enemies. (laughs) I don't think that's the joyful thanks that Paul was thinking about. (laughs) Instead, biblical joy speaks to the inner contentment. We've talked about this. Inner contentment we can have because we know that God is doing something through the difficulties to accomplish his purposes in us and through us. And remember, Paul is writing all this while he is confined in Rome. He knows what he's talking about. As I was studying this week, I found another definition which I shared with the Sunday School class which I really like. Someone has said or defined joy as grace recognized. Joy is grace recognized and the more i think about that the more i like it it's so profound joy is grace recognized as christians who recognize god's grace despite our difficulties we can give joyful thanks and paul gives us a reason why He says, because the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Speaking of our salvation. Before our salvation, God was our judge. And we stood condemned before Him. But by God's grace... He has qualified us, meaning he has made us fit for his presence and for our inheritance. There is a story of an old man who owned a little plot of land with a poor, miserable cabin on it. Plots in his neighborhood had been selling for fabulous prices. And he felt that someday his place would make him a fortune. By and by, a millionaire came along and seeing the possibilities of that block, said, I want the whole thing. The whole block. He sent his agent to buy the whole block. And when he came to the old man... He asked, What is the price of your place? As the old man had waited long for this opportunity, he priced it at what he thought was a tremendously big figure. Very well, said the agent, I will take it. When do you want it? the old man asked. In about two weeks, I will be around with the deed. And you can be ready to sign it. Here is $1,000 to bind the sale, replied the agent. The old man was simply delighted and thought, Well, if somebody has bought this place who is able to pay all that money, I ought to fix it up a bit. And so he bought some paint and went to work painting the old cabin. He bought some glass to replace the the broken panes. And for two weeks, he worked on the cabin. When this millionaire purchaser and his agent brought the papers for him to sign, he was so nervous about it, he could hardly hold the pen. He was surprised that the purchaser did not say anything about the shack. And so he said, You see how beautifully I have painted it up? And have put in new windows. It's going to be a nice place. I hope you will be very comfortable in it. Oh, said the millionaire, I didn't buy this place for what's on it. Or for what you did with it. I bought it for what I'm going to do with it. That's how God qualifies us. By His grace... He took us just as we were, not because we made ourselves fit, not because of what's in us, but because of what he was going to do with us. He has made us fit. He has put us in a right standing with himself to be in His presence and to share the inheritance of the saints. And knowing all of this, even while dealing with difficult circumstances and difficult people by God's grace and power, we can still do it joyfully. Now these last two verses of this prayer, Paul is going to explain how God qualified us. And how we became saints. Beginning with verse 13 Paul says. For he. Rescued us. From the domain of darkness. And transferred us. To the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. These two verses. Paint a clear picture of the saving actions of Christ on our behalf. First, we are told that God rescued us from the domain of darkness. That Greek word for rescued is roami. And it is used to describe a soldier going to a wounded comrade on the battlefield and snatching him away to safety. That's the picture. Because of our sin and our guilt, we were in grave danger, in danger of spending eternity apart from God. But for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God rescued us. And notice... That is past tense. He rescued us, past tense, from the power and the penalty of God, meaning, past tense, it's already done. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. We have been rescued. Paul also tells us that God transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That word transferred was used to describe the deportation of the popu- of a population from one country to another. And if you recall from our previous studies, that's what the Assyrians would do to a conquered people. They would move them from their homeland to another place to dispel any notion of nationalism. That could lead to a rebellion. Here, we too were transferred. Again, that's past tense. We are transferred. It's already done. Transferred out of the ruling power of darkness in our lives into the light. God has already moved us. He's already moved us out so that He might bring us into a new home, into a new life, and a new identity in Christ. Now if you notice in the last verse, with the words, we have, see that? We have. That tells us what comes next is present tense. It's present tense, meaning, we currently possess Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's not something we wait for down the road. Redemption and forgiveness, which are closely related, are already in our possession. Jesus Christ paid the full price with his blood. To release us from the bondage of sin. He paid the full ransom and as a result, our guilt was sent away. So that was Paul's prayer to the church in Colossae. A prayer that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's the kind of prayer we should want for ourselves. We need to lift each other up in prayer to discern God's will and to stay faithful to the word, especially in a world full of lies. We need to pray that our lives would honor God. Praying that we would come to know and do what pleases Him. And lastly, we need to pray for the strength to endure difficult circumstances and to be patient with difficult people. This is the kind of prayer for each of us. And to drive this home, I want you to do something. think about a person you know at church or at work, at school, or in your family. Think about that person. Whether he or she is a believer or an unbeliever, pray for that person. Spend time going over the things that I just talked about. Intercede for that person daily for the next several weeks. Think about that person and and just commit to pray for that person every day for the next several weeks. And you can know That you are praying according to God's will. And that God delights in imparting things that only come from Him. True knowledge. Real holiness. And enduring strength. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for This time together in your word. Lord, I I pray this was this was pleasing to you. Father, I will admit I I don't pray the way I should. I don't pray for the things I should pray about. And here Paul's prayer is that we would pray to know your will. To know you by experience. That we would walk with you step by step, day by day. Paul's prayer is that we would be able to endure and remain under the difficulties which you know about. And that we would be patient with difficult people. Father, I rarely pray for that. And I'm sorry. <clears throat> Father, I, I, I hope and pray that you would you'd move me and that you'd move us to pray for those things that you want us to pray about. And I look forward to seeing what you're going to do. In the coming weeks. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you're like me. I'm, I'm assuming you are. <clears throat> How often do I pray, Lord, be with that person. Lord, help them. I think if anything, what we covered this morning... What I saw was a lot of specifics. That prayer should be specific. What does Lord be with that person mean? I know we pray that. I know we pray that way. Lord be with that. But what does that mean? How do you define that? How do you know if He is or not? <clears throat> We need to pray with specifics. With specifics. That's what I got from that. Pray with specifics. Lord, I pray that this person would would, would know you. That they would know your will. And not only that they would know it, but that they would follow it. They would walk with you. Whatever, Whatever their situation is. Oftentimes we pray for that person, Lord, help them to get out from under it. When the truth is, maybe they should be under it, because God's doing something. Maybe our prayer is, God, show me how to pray for that person. Instead of God, just help them and just go on our way. Pray with specifics. Does that make sense? And maybe you have to go to that person. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? I know we are a praying church. But I wonder sometimes how meaningful our prayer really is. Pray with specifics. We need to pray for each other. I already have people in my mind. I try to pray for all of y'all. But there are certain people I'm going to pray for very hard in the next coming weeks. Just to see what God does. Just to see what He does. And they're specific prayers. Not just God be with them, not just God help them, but they're specific. I want to see what God does. And I just challenge you to do the same. Pick a person. Just pick a person and commit to praying for them for the next three weeks. Hard. Okay? Hard. And see what God does. Is that a deal? Okay. I'm glad you're here this morning. I know a lot of people are, <clears throat> are either out or uh, under the weather. We had a tough day yesterday and a lot of folks can't, couldn't make it today. God, I thank you so much for, for being here. Maybe you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love to introduce you to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Some place you can identify with. Or maybe you just need prayer. Specific prayer. Whatever that might be. Just trust him and obey him. Do what he asks. Larry?